Welcome all, and thank you for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast, where we talk all things soccer and the DMV. My name is Jose Omania, sports writer for the Sports Pulse, and joining me as always is my co-host Mario Maya from El Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. You know, I'm excited to talk about goals in this pod. There's some goals in this pod. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we get to, I guess, goals in this pod, um, <laughs> we have to talk about what broke over the weekend and literally broke over the weekend is MLS's return back to regular season play. DC United's announcement that they'll be back in regular season action on the road in their first match back since March against FC Cincinnati on August 21st. United and 26 other MLS clubs will play an additional 18 matches in phase formats. The first phase will take place from August 12th to the 14th. And then the second phase will take place right afterwards until November 8th. The playoffs will then commence with MLS Cup scheduled to take place on December 12th. Mario, before we get into specific matchups and things of that nature, what are your thoughts on the layout of everything, the way MLS is structuring this, and the key thing that I did not mention, all clubs will be playing in their local markets. I think the way they structured it is pretty well. It shows that they actually had a plan in place to bring back this season, and I think it helps with how well that MLS's back went for the league in general. So they pretty much, with that, with how they structured that tournament, is they had somewhere to go off, had a structure to go off of, and pretty much find way, find ways to bring back the league as safely as possible. I I find it interesting, especially that they're going with uh, three into three phases. But all in all, as as someone that covers the game and as a fan, you know, I'm just excited that MLS is back. Man, I, I'm I'm excited as well. But my thing is with everything going on in terms of the pandemic for those who don't even just watch soccer, they follow sports. We just had major conferences in college football electing not to play in their local markets during the fall because of the concerns that the coronavirus is having. And it just seems slightly ill-advised. I feel like the MLS is getting all this goodwill from the MLS's back tournament. And then, Tonight, we're having FC Dallas versus Nashville in front of 3,000 people because it's not going to be uniformed. Everyone's going to play with no fans. It's based on your local uh, regulations and laws and health codes. And you're leaving, you're leaving too much open to interpretation for these clubs. A lot of clubs are going to want to go out here and just want to make money. And at the end of the day, you can't, you can't allow these businesses to, you, at the end of the day, clubs are businesses and they're going to try and find ways to make money. And for me, you're putting public safety against making money and ultimately you can lose fans that way. So the majority of clubs uh, from last I saw, only three are having fans uh, back in their venues. So I think the majority of clubs would rather play it safe than sorry and not have fans back in their venues. That's true. I mean, unless you're FC Dallas, I really don't know what you were thinking there, allowing 3,000 fans to watch this game tonight. 
especially considering that Texas is still a pretty big hotbed for COVID-19. And also considering that you miss an entire tournament because half your team contracted the coronavirus. So all in all, I think, yeah, it's good that we're getting MLS, but at the same time, like you shouldn't leave teams to their own devices. You should have probably, it would have been best to have like a uniform call of action, something that would, that, that would have benefited the safety of all players and staff and staff alike. Exactly. And for those who haven't been following what's been going on with DC United and trying to play at Audi Field, this is what the club released right after this was announced by the league. Quote, all decisions will be made in juncture with local government and health officials with the club's engagement with its members. That's club speak for its fans, meaning when the club announced that no fans would be allowed in the venue. Um, the team needs approval from Mayor Barrio Browser's office in order to, to reopen for, get, for fans as part of the Reopen DC guidance. Right now, DC's under a phase two and probably will end up staying phase two. And for those who don't know what the phases in DC, masks would be required in the venue at all times. Social distancing uh, would, need, would need to be required. Also, Travelers from high-risk states have to self-quarantine for 14 days after arriving to the city, which the club will need to answer that question as we get closer to actual games at Audi, how that's going to work for teams um, that, last I checked, New York has been crossed off the list of uh, coronavirus hotspots that the city is saying needs to quarantine. So that's good when they play New York CFC. We'll get to that. But it's not good for, you know, when they play the New England Revolution, if Massachusetts is considered a hot spot by the city. So I do think the club still needs to answer some questions. But for me, if we're going to do this, I'm fine in terms of DC United doing it with no fans in the, in the building. Right. And I think this is going to be one of those interesting questions that you need to answer yourself. Like, how do how do you circle around that 14 day rule, especially considering if I remember from from last episode we were speaking that MLS wants the teams to get there that day, play the game, get tested and get out of Dodge all in the same day. So. That that'll be a that'll be an interesting proposition because that would mean you'd have to somewhat circumvent the rules or try to bend it a little for that for it to work. And from what I've seen, Muriel Bowser has been someone that hasn't budged on the rules at all when it comes to COVID nineteen in the city. And so it it it, it makes for it, it makes for a, a, an interesting. Uh, a, a interesting uh, proposition, all, all things considered. But I, I think they'll have something done in that regard because especially considering they're not going to stay in the city, they're leaving that day. Uh, I think they won't have a problem but or an issue, but we'll see. Uh, that's something that they need to discuss with, uh, with D.C. government altogether. Yeah, definitely. And the Nationals have some kind of weird provision, so... Whatever the Nationals have, I think D.C. would have to get in order for everything to work. For the In terms of the schedule, like I said, Cincinnati's the first game on August 21st. That will be this 
next upcoming Friday, then the following Tuesday on August. Uh, correction. Uh, they play next Friday against Cincinnati. Then on August 21st, they'll play the New England Revolution. It'll be the first match at Audi Field for United since March 7th. After a two-game road trip, then they will return home to play New York City FC on September 6th. And then their final game at Audi Field for the first phase will be against the New York Red Bulls. It will, they will, the only team they will see twice during this whole first phase is the Red Bulls. And for those who didn't pay attention, it is actually pretty good for once that we'll get a Red Bulls game not highly publicized by the league. It's going to be a calmed version of the rivalry games while all the other ones are getting the publicity versus the Atlantic Cup that was always the league's darling. Now it's been pushed to like eighth place in the rivalry scale in Major League Soccer. Um, but Mario, what are you, what are you, is there a specific matchup that you're interested in the team in seeing DC United or are you one of these fans that says, does it really matter because they need to make too many changes that I'm going to be frustrated watching this? Uh, look, I'm excited for all the games in general. I'm excited to, if they, if they allow us back in, into Audi field, I'm excited to just see soccer at Audi field. Now, of course, as a good DC United fan, I will tell you the one match I look forward to is going to be the two Red Bull series at the end of this because, of course, it's a rivalry game. It's a game that will that stokes passion within within the fan base, but also it's weirdly enough like there's not a lot of publicity going into it. So you know, I, I think you got to make it your own at that at, at that case. Um, but I think the uh, New England game at home will be good because that it'll give them a chance to somewhat right the sh- right the ship because these two did face each other in the uh, in the MLS's back tournament. So I know Ben Olsen is going to be looking for a little bit of revenge and who knows you probably get a, a Federico Higuaín at 100%. He may be starting this game. Right, and I, I'm more intrigued on that Cincinnati game to be honest. And by the way, it is August 21st. And the New England game is August 25th. I have not had enough sleep, so I'm sorry. Anywho, <laughs> yes, it, I, I'm interested in the Cincy game just because of how Cincy performed in the MLS's back tournament, which we'll get to in a second. Well, and in I liked how they played overall. People were looking at them very negatively. But I think it was smart by the coaching staff to start building a defense. And I think that's going to be interesting. DC United has a problem breaking down defenses. And so it's going to really test DC United's offense. We saw it, uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, last year against Cincinnati and how the defense limited United's opportunities, even though United had over 20 shot opportunities on, tar- on goal. They had 11 men on the field. Cincinnati had nine, and yet they weren't able to score against them last year. You're going to need to ride it. Right, this wrong altogether, DC. And that's and that's back with more striking power. Now you have less striking power and a Cincinnati rebuilt defense that gained confidence, uh, basically surprising everyone in the league. So I'm very interested to see that and seeing also if Bennett's going to come out and do something different. I I do think that if there's one thing everybody took 
out of the MLS's back tournament with DC United is the lack of imagination with the lineup rotation. While I am a big fan of keeping the same center back pairing and the base back four, you saw that a lot of times the players would get tired or because of the heat, and there was rarely any rotation in terms of the center back pairing. You have Donovan Pines, a first-round draft pick that you got that's highly coveted and very good. And last year, if it wasn't for Bryant, would have been the if it wasn't for Bryant and an injury midsummer, it would have been Donovan Pines starting. And so you have Pine, use him. You have so much depth now in the wings and defense. I think this is the game. If you're going to be imaginative. Out of all the games, this is the one you have to do it with because since he's coming out feeling good and everybody's expecting you to lay an egg because of your lack of offense that we've seen in the last three games. Right, and I think this is one of those games, if you want to give another young player a start, Chris Adui Atsum. Chris Adui Atsum had some serviceable performances in the MLS's back tournament. I think him coming down the wing will help. Um... If you really want to go with giving young players a shot as well, I think Kevin Paredes made enough strides in this tournament. The ver- the few moments we got to see of him, I think he he will be interesting to see if they play him against Cincinnati, and just see how they do well in that um in that kind of a scenario. Now in an official league game, one of the things that I think they need to do, and I'm particularly talking about the midfield is I want to see them if they could play sort of like a, a pairing in the backfield of sorts or the back line of the midfield of sorts with Junior Moreno and Julian Gressel just to see how that works out because to be quite honest Julian Gressel is, as a winger he played out of position he was out of his depth at that in that tournament so i feel like he's more of a central midfielder he's kind of, he can give you a number 10 kind of performance but he could also be that number eight role where he could pivot in in front of the of the of uh, the backfield to the forward line all to get all in one felt swoop and that was something he did really well in atlanta and i think i think you need to give him a shot in the more in the middle of the park and probably starting with Junior Moreno, uh, 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 start a partnership with Junior Moreno, or started with Felipe Martins, who also does pretty well playing in the center of the of the midfield, and actually test out Edison Flores and Yamil Assad on the wings. Yeah, I think if, we, if, if we're going to go on record, right, like six matches coming up, What's the baseline? What's the barometer? Like two wins, is that enough? Or three wins, is that enough? For me, United needs to get, you know, at the minimum eight points out of this six games. And that's very low. You know, one should imagine that a club like this, with the with the with the defense it has and the goalkeeper it has, that they should be out there at least at the minimum getting twelve points, four wins out of these six matches at the minimum. But Based on the performances we've seen at MLS's back and what we don't know what's going to happen with the transfer window, and United's been very, very vocal about they're going to spend during the transfer window. I'm confused as to what they're going to buy because they have a lot of needs because of the lack of diversity in their in their system formation and the lack of diversity in 
what they use. So I think it's going to be very fascinating looking forward to see where they want to move in the transfer window as well as what people believe is the most acceptable result for this first phase. Me personally, it's going the most interesting set of games outside of the of the Cincinnati game is going to be those New York games because both teams seem to be heading in the same downward trajectory, if you will. And that's with Red Bull spending more than United recently outside of Wayne Rooney, obviously, but spending more money on designated players and, and specialty players. And so I'm going to be looking at that to see, okay, if the Red Bulls are doing something right, what is it? And what is DC United lacking? Because they both are going to the downward trajectory compared to the other Eastern Conference teams from what was shown at the MLS's back tournament. And that's funny you mentioned that, and especially considering that the Red Bulls actually won a game in the MLS's back <laughs> tournament. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see. Both of them are going on to, like you said, downward trajectory. And also if the reports come out, uh, that came out a day ago that Alex Mule is going to Nashville, it's going to hurt the Red Bulls because you lose a guy that's been somewhat of a stalwart in the last couple seasons on their midfield as well. So it, it, can, it can be interesting. Uh, I personally think nine points would be acceptable. I'll go one point higher than you. Either way, it's still a very low barometer, all things considering. <laughs> so... We shall see. I don't know how this is going to work out with United, how, what systems Ben Olsen has in place, but I'm pretty sure he, he has to have this team raring to go, especially considering what their performance was in the MLS's back tournament. Right. I, you know, and this is the last for me on this topic. It's just It's going to be a, a test of what Ben can do now. Um, you're two points now out of last place for the playoffs, excuse me, so two points off of eighth place. Um, there's going to be multiple playing games. Uh, it's going to be a condensed playoff after in late November. You have time. Stop speculating on if you're going to get Pyreola back. Like, use the weapons you have. Come up with a best strategy. See if you can pick up a forward or two during this transfer window, and go for it. I think if they don't, if they're not imaginative in the first six games, they shouldn't even sniff the playoffs at that point. I think it's just just say goodbye. It's not going to happen. Right, and I think going into the play into the transfer window, you need to pick up a forward. Uh, I, I think I'm. I think I'll be blunt about that. You need striking power. Ola Kamara and Eric Sorga clearly aren't going to cut it. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying go out and spend millions on a European-based forward because, let's face it, there's a travel ban thanks to Corona right now, so they're <laughs> not coming into the United States, and they're not going to let anybody from the United States into several European countries. Now, I think we've said it before, if you're looking for, you know, that big name forward to give you that, you know, little extra bit of oomph to your offense. You could always look into getting Josie Altador from Toronto. 
But in, the, in, in that, you'd have to, like, risk a lot to get Josie Altador. And also, who was pretty injury-prone, didn't play much in the MLS's back tournament either. Yeah, that was a far-fetched idea that we both threw out there, and it would be cool. But I, I understand your point. At this point, at this matter, in this juncture, United just needs to get a striker. There's and whether they have to trade for it like they did back in the day with Dero or you know find some some college player that needs a shot like they did with Aleko, they have to start doing something in terms of providing more depth in the striker. In the striker, I just they can't convert or they can't make uh, Assad into a false nine like they did before. They can't do that. Moving forward, they have to get someone who can play the position, especially speaking of injury-prone, all of Kamara's injury-prone problems that we saw reoccur during the MLS's back tournament. Right. So, I mean, there could be a few players. And I don't have to – You, they don't have to be stars. They could just be someone that – like Patrick Mullins, when they got Patrick Mullins a couple years back. It would be someone that would solve your pro- your issues on in, at forward moving forward throughout the season, right? It's short, yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a stopgap, it'd be a short term solution to your attacking problem. Then and that way, when you have the short term solution, you can figure out the long term solution it, for for that need in that certain position. Yep. So going forward, we're expecting hopefully not destructive behavior by DC United. Hopefully, competent behavior uh, with these next six matches, and we hope that fans do not. Me personally, I hope fans do not try to sneak into Audi Field. I hope that we don't get situations like we saw in Spain. I hope that we all try to be decent human beings and watch the game from home. But maybe I'm just being. Facetious in my <laughs> You're being a little optimistic there. I, I'm expecting <laughs> someone trying to sneak into the stadium to watch one of these games. But speaking of things that in the past, we were just talking a lot about the MLS's back tournament that happened last night, the final between Portland and Orlando. Portland Timbers uh, took down Orlando 2-1 to one to become the winners of the inaugural and hopefully last MLS's back tournament at the Wide World of Sports Complex last night. Goals from Larry Mario's going to laugh at me with pronunciations. Milaba and Dario. Fabiola. Whatever. <laughs> and Dario. There we go. <laughs> Dario Saparic. Saparic. There we go. They both scored, especially Saparic's goal in the second half to help the Timbers win. They win not only the nice coveted Chalice Trophy. (laughs) You mean the fruit bowl? Sure. (laughs) They win the Chalice Cup. They also win a guaranteed spot to the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League, which the 2020 tournament still has yet to finish. I digress. And a share of the prize money on the tune of $300,000. Mario, you saw the majority of this contest. What were your thoughts on the Timbers and how they performed and just overall their journey to the Cup? Uh, Overall, you were right. They are a tournament team. Uh, They were probably one of the best teams in this tournament. So I'm not surprised they ended up winning. They have not only great leadership on the field with Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco, but 
Gio Stavarese was able to get the best out of all these players, given the circumstances. And so they it showed that they're willing to play and lay all on the line for G, for Giovanni Stavarese and what he has in mind. And, and it just showed throughout the tournament. And they were able to get goals. They were able to get goals from different players, not just Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco. They got it from Jer- from Jared Bobasi. They got it from Andy Polo coming off the bench. They got it from their back line because both of these players are defenders. The first goal in particular was a great, again, a great cross from Diego Valeri. Larry's Mabiala just heads it home. He overpowers the Orlando defender to put in the back of the net. And then the second goal, I got to ask Orlando this question. Was anybody bothering to block uh, Aaron Williamson on that play? <laughs> that man was wide open. He was open. And it led it led for them to go after Williamson, leaving Zabarich wide open, who, who pretty much slams the ball home. Let's be, not to cut you off, but let's be real. The way Orlando acted on that Williamson shot, no one could have touched the ball and it would have rolled in the net. That's how awkward they reacted to it. They kind of just stood still. It was an offset shot. He kicked it awfully. You could see he wasn't trying to have – it just didn't bounce right before he took the shot. And it felt like Orlando was befuddled that the ball was moving. And so <laughs> – and luckily, Portland took advantage of it. If I had the ball right in front of me and nobody's moving, I'm going to take a shot and I'm going to score. And that's what happened there. Um, but you were saying? Well, yeah. I mean, prior to that sequence, Portland had three shots on goal that Pedro Galese stopped. Right. I, it, it was just a sight to behold. That man was like, I'm going to stop this. So help me God. <laughs> And the corner that leads up to the goal, that could have been a goal for a Bobasi, but Mueller got in front of it. So for me, I was a little bit flabbergasted that nobody picked up Williamson on the far end of the of the box. And even less, they could not pick out Saparic to pretty much stop him right then and there. And not much Galesa could do on that goal and on that goal once uh Saparic one times it. Or deflects it, whatever you want to call that goal. Yeah, I mean, Portland, not just my thoughts on them being a tournament team. It's just, I just, you know, I, I've i been always interested to see Sabre SC and MLS after hearing all his exploits with the New York Cosmos. And so I was always interested to see him as a coach in this league and what he could do. He's made Jerome Bobosi into probably the best striker in the striker pool currently they could play number nine that's what i mean before i get reamed by european soccer twitter um <laughs> um but no i dare you say that <laughs> no i think he he is probably the player that's grown the most in the past year and a half especially since he's drafted eric williamson lord have mercy this dude left college park maryland after a great season, this man was a DC United Academy product, and and he elected United put an offer on the table. He elected not to take it. He took. He chose to go in the draft, get signed by Portland. He's sitting on the bench for Portland. Gets spot minutes here or there. Sarasi comes in, 
and he's now an integral part in the system. That's called using all your pieces. And you kind of mentioned earlier with, you know, how Blanco fits in, Valeri. I just think they were just the perfect storm of, and normally those two, we, you know, people talk about in Barcelona how some, they're similar players and things like that. Good players know how to adjust, whether they're out of position or in position. Those two, you could argue, play 10, a number 10 role. And they're like, we can do it, no problem. What alternates it being a winger, one alternates it being more of a box-to-box mid, one alternates as a 10, one shuffles between being the false nine. They understand each other to the point where Portland looks more dangerous coming out of the MLS's back tournament than coming in. That's a scary thought, knowing the how loaded the Western Conference is. Right. And seeing how, mo- how most of these loaded ML- uh, Western Conference teams came into this, LAFC, even without Carlos Vela, they were able to make noise. They were going to be coming and making noise. The LA Galaxy was coming in trying to make noise. And in the end, both teams failed to even make the final. The Galaxy failed to even make it out of the first round. Again, that's why you get defenders to uh, address your defensive problems, but I digress. And LAFC, I feel they got confident against Orlando in the quarterfinals, and Orlando made them pay for it in the end. And then also there is the case of the Seattle Sounders, the current defending MLS Cup champions. They weren't able to make much noise, even though they made it into the round of 16 of this tournament. They, they fell a little flat-footed. Well, Seattle had a lot of injuries coming into the tournament, and they just never recovered from what I saw. Um, they had more long-term injuries that, you know, crept in during the tournament, and they couldn't adjust, and that's understandable. Injuries happen, and if you, especially when it starts attacking your depth, it's going to limit to what you can do. But I think the Western Conference comes out of this looking more deadlier. You know, even FC Dallas, we didn't even get to see, was highly chosen by many people as the team that could come out of this tournament looking the best. Houston came out looking good. That's what I'm saying. Like, teams that San Jose is now this indie darling type of, of team that now everybody wants to see go to MLS Cup. So that's what I'm saying. The Western Conference just looks deadly. Right, and the funny thing is, Chris Wondolowski was scoring goals off the bench for San Jose. This man didn't even start. Exactly. So that's one thing I took out of it with Portland winning and just the tournament as a whole, how loaded the Western Conference is. Also, just the Eastern Conference in a way, we see that Philly's asserted its dominance, but we see that for you to take Orlando out, it's going to take an effort because – Nani, after last year's uh, performance, which wasn't all his fault, you know, Don Dwyer didn't really show up last year. The team wasn't centered around Nani as it is this year. But this year, he's really stepped up and he's taken the toll as the captain. He's taking he's taking charge. And you can see that team response to him, Oscar Pereja. And it's going to be good to see how they go moving forward. But right now, you know, Miami's getting all the attention, but Orlando may come out of the year being the best team in Florida. Uh, yeah, I think one of the other most underrated players in this team, and I've seen in the last couple of games, Mauricio Pereira. 
he, mm-hmm. he was, he's been able to be in the stop. He's been able to help give Nani a little bit of relief in the midfield, and he got game time all yesterday. So it should be interesting. I I think that Orlando again. I apologize for saying that this team wasn't going to amount to anything in the MLS Cup. Shut me up. Uh. They, they, you're right. They may be the best team in Florida at the end of the year because Inter Miami just can't seem to get it together. I know they're an expansion team and everything, but even then, they, they, they haven't quite figured it out yet. And Atlanta, it's looking scary and not in a good way. Yeah, and this all this talk because they got Maltriti that they need a striker. They need a striker. They need a striker. You have a striker. He's a Mexican. You just don't see him as a striker. <laughs> and and so that's something different. But we'll digress. And so we'll see moving forward how Miami looks. But in terms of Orlando, I liked how they performed. It was a good effort by them. I really did think they could have shocked the world, or at least MLS in this case. Mario, all the think pieces have been coming out since before and after the tournament about should they do this again? A lot of coaches have come out and said they like this structure in terms of not the bubble, per se, the tournament structure of like a World Cup um, that they could play every year amongst each other. Is this something that you see MLS should think about either as a preseason tournament, something to replace the supporter shield now that we go forward with more and more and more teams? Or is this a one-off because of the pandemic in your eyes? Look, originally I thought it would be a one-off just because of what the pandemic does, what the pandemic has done, not just to soccer but to every sport in general. Mm. Now I I don't necessarily see it as a replacement to the supporter shield. I definitely would love to see it as a preseason format, a preseason tournament, you know, just for teams to gauge where they're at coming into the season gauge how other teams are coming into the season and just giving young players an opportunity. So I would love to see the MLS's back tournament, of course, with a different name and more and, uh, and in the, as more of a preseason kind of thing, just to know, just for, just for teams to gauge what they're, what it's going to look like. And just to give players, you know, time to time to adjust to what, what the upcoming season would look like. And also, you know, to give newer players that are coming into the league a chance to fill out the league, get get a chance to adjust a little more to what it's like to play in this, to play in MLS in somewhat of a competitive, of uh, competitive, uh, competitive cycle or competitive or competitive uh, environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I didn't think of it that way, especially with all the influx of newer talent, new DPs that end up coming in. You don't really think about, like, until you see them, how much they have to adjust to American-style football, American coaching, things of that nature. You don't really think about it until you see that first game. I think DC United fans really learned a lot about Edson Flores and how much he really needs the ball in order to be creative. Now, after watching those three games, it really opened up the door into what you can see. And it does lend a hand to fans to see what can work during the season, what it doesn't. I kind of see 
and I'm going to be killed by soccer peers here, I think it can be a replacement for supporting the Because here's the reality of the situation moving forward. This league is going to grow to 30 teams. And at some point, you can't just rely on the top points team to be your supporter shield champion. Unless you're doing top points leader of the East, place top point leader in the West in a supporter shield championship right before the start of playoffs, and then that's your supporter shield champion. Sure, if you do that, then I'm game. But you can't have LAFC win the supporter shield in an easy Western Conference like it was last year, and the top, you know, and then the next second place point level first team is, you know, Sporting Kansas City by off twenty points. Like you can't have that. That's not that's not how that works, especially because they're on even schedules. Western Conference teams are obviously going to see each other more often than the Eastern Conference teams. If there's an unbalanced schedule, it's just a lot of mi- mixing. I think that this gives a proper champion and i think whether they do it in a bubble style in the preseason you could even call it like a community shield type of event you know stealing something from the british or you do it you do it in the middle of the season i think this would relieve off of that pressure during you know those hot summer months when all the players go off the play in the gold cup or go off to play in the Copa America. This could be that time that you play the other players and play them in this bubble style World Cup format. It could be a little shorter, obviously. Um, you wouldn't have such a long, extended ooh, uh, 16 teams go on to the round of 16. You just go straight to the top eight. The top two uh, leaders of the groups go to the next round. You know, you don't have to have this who's the best third place or whatnot. And so I think it could work. And, and I could totally see it working as what you said, as something of an introduction to the league a start, especially when people don't like going to see league matches in, in February and early March. This could be that pseudo-replacement lead-in to the league. Right, and I'll, I'll think about it. You know what? A supporter shield tournament, best of the East, best of the West. Winner meets in a makeshift, uh, in a makeshift stadium in the middle of the Mississippi River. Sure, and they can put a second leg on top of Mount Everest. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, if we're going to be creative, I mean, the top of Mount I'll, McKinley, I'll Mount Everest. One, one-off game in the middle of the Mississippi on a riverboat. Sure, and then we can put them all in that floating uh, rooftop stadium in uh, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift up top of a building. <laughs> put them there, too. And then they can duke it out, and the winner will get a Ferrari. Like that's a, that's. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> Carlos Vela's like, I have one of those. Thank you. <laughs> but that's enough for us today. We have a today's a little bit of a shorter show, mainly because topic wise, and because we have lives. But anywho, <laughs> Mario, tell the people where they can find more information about you and what you're up to. All right, so you can find me on Twitter at MarioMaya1. I will be coming up with some stories now that the season's going to resume shortly for El Tiempo Latino. You can follow them on Twitter at El Tiempo Latino, at ElTiempoLatino.com, and wherever you get your newspapers from. And remember, this podcast is WAP, wildly appropriate podcast.
Okay. Anywho, thank you for tuning into the Bad Ombre Spencer podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Mana. For more, shout out as always to Kevin McLeod and Impotech for the intro music. Remember, rate, subscribe, as always, on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Mario, thank you once again for helping out this week. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Adios.